Well, welcome to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and my co-host, Bob. Bob, good to be with you again. Hope things are going well for you. It's always great to be with you too, Ross. You and I have had some conversations recently about some conversations we had with others over the weekend. And I know that that might be a place where we could start talking about our program today. This fits right into exactly what we're facing. Uh, I'll give a overview of I said, you do the same, and this would be a good launch point for us to let our listeners know where we are in that battle, how we've tried our best to be good servants and purveyors of what we believe to be truth uh, in our own life, engaging our own world. I know, as I've told you, I had been engaged over the weekend in some back-and-forth emails, some pretty difficult discussions or hotly contested discussions with, in this case, a young boy in Tennessee. And uh, he attacked me for one matter, and so I began to engage him and led very quickly to a discussion about faith. He wanted to discuss religion. I tried to post a difference between religion and faith. Anyhow, a number of the things that he said, number one, he doesn't believe there's a God. Uh, how could, if there were a God, how in the world could he allow suffering? It's the same old things you hear all the time. How could he have suffering? How could people be hurt? Uh, in the Crusades, people killed people in the name of Christianity, so to speak. And so he said, how in the world could you really believe that this is the case? How The virgin birth? a death, burial, resurrection. And so I wanted to establish a, a worldview or establish a platform from which we could operate. So I asked the question, is truth relative or absolute? In three or four conversations back and forth, he refused to answer the question. But I said, if in fact we can't establish a baseline, it's hard to have other than a circular conversation about this. But let me just kind of encapsulate this whole thing. This is exactly what I think Christians are facing. Now, your discussion over the weekend was just a little bit different. I want to hear that, let our listeners hear it. Then let's talk back and forth about how in the world can we be much more effective in engaging the world that we live in, the world that we face every day. So tell the listeners the story that you told me earlier. Well, Ross, I think your observation about what happened in your conversation this weekend, and I'll tell you more about my conversation here in just a moment, but I think the things we're talking about, about how we can, how we can, inter- how can we inter- interact with, relate to, communicate with, have dialogues within this culture that we live in is incredibly important because many times we talk at each other instead of listening to each other. Uh, in fact, if I could, Ross, let me just kind of back up and, and put this in context as it relates to our show. Because for the last several weeks, or actually months now, we've been talking about these eight questions related to worldview. And, and admittedly, the first seven are philosophical in nature. They're, they're, about, they're more about the academics behind it. Uh, what is prime reality? What's the nature of the world around us? You know, how do we know anything? Those are, those are philosophical type things. But that eighth question really comes down to lifestyle, and it comes down to 
what core commitments? In fact, that is the, the eighth question. You're not going to be talking a lot about that today because we're to, we're, we've both spoken to people over the weekend that have taken umbrage with the Christian worldview. Uh, you mentioned the, the young man you spoke with. There was a young lady that was in my home over the weekend, and um, we talked a lot about her lifestyle. Admittedly, she is... Uh, she has a, a, a she, she has a life partner who is uh, who is of the same sex. Uh, she uh, talks a lot about you know how she got to that place in her life. But as we dug deeper behind her life, I came to find out that she was raised in a Christian home. She was raised by fundamentalist parents. Um, she was taught the Bible from an early age. Attended church. But from the time that she was two years old until she was 16 years old, she was systematically sexually abused by a family member who purportedly was also a believer. And her worldview was torpedoed by these events that happened in her life. Now, you know, you and I have talked in the past, Ross, about how it's easy for us to not want to follow Christ because it's inconvenient to follow Christ. But sometimes, frankly, when things like this happen, when some when someone suffers sexual abuse at the hands of a purported believer, boy, it puts a real stumbling block in people's ways. Absolutely. And, you know, if I think if either of us were in those situations, we probably would face the same stumbling block. I really agree with you. And, and I, th- I think that we just, we as believers have to admit that. We have to own that. We have to, we have to admit that not all people who call themselves Christians are necessarily Christian. But some of them who call themselves Christians probably are Christians, but they're not very mature. And that disconnect, that maturity disconnect, has made it really difficult for a lot of people to put their faith in a God who's purportedly good and who loves them and who's got a plan for their life. And I just think we've got to be honest about that and just say, wow, if I'd walked in your shoes, I probably would have had a hard time believing this also. Was she she seeking from you, was she seeking a relationship with God or was she simply saying, here's my situation, here's my plight, here was the background I had, what do you tell me? Actually, what she said was, I wish that I could believe. I wish that Mm -hmm. I could put my faith and hope in the God that you and your wife talked about. And we we had great visits together. Uh, We talked for my wife, talked to her till two o'clock in the morning on Saturday night about these things. And, and she was, she was lamenting that there was there was a stumbling block for her cerebral acceptance of these things because of all the emotional trauma that she'd suffered. And, you know, about all we could say was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. That was a traumatic event. And we just kept, you know, you and I have had this conversation before that, you know, Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the... 
he's the bellwether. Christ is the plumb bob, if you will, of a Christian worldview. But the fact is, the scripture says that we should be Christ-like. Christians should be like him. And there's just lots of verses that support that. And that's an extension of his kingdom. And when Christians aren't like him, it makes it more difficult for people who are seeking faith in Christ to really find him. And, you know, that's uh, that's unfortunate. And you and I both know that's part of spiritual warfare. That's part of what the enemy of Christ and his kingdom wants to perpetrate on the world. He wants Christians to act unchristlike so that people who don't know about Christ will be caused to stumble over him. How did she respond? Well, you know, on one hand, there was there was a, a working of, you know, th- you people have, have given me a lot to think about. You've given me a lot to to consider. I I wish what you said was true. Frankly, you all are more the exception than the rule. So I'm going to keep my eye on you basically. I want to hang out with you. I want to I want to know more about your God as I watch your lifestyle. And and there's a sense in which and I appreciated that. I mean that I thought that was honest. I thought it was fair. She said, "You know, you're you all have treated me with grace and with dignity. You've uh, you've not tried to belittle me. You've not tried to shame me. You've not tried to dishonor me. But at the same time, you've told me that there are consequences to my lifestyle and there are consequences to what I believe or what I fail to believe. And I'm willing to consider those things. But honestly, it may take me a while to get there if I ever get there at all. And I had to say, hey, that's honest. That's that's honest and that has integrity to it. And I I would encourage you to continue to pursue that with integrity. But the point you and I are making is that many times there is a connection between lifestyle and worldview. And that's exactly what question number eight says. Question number eight is what are the core life commitments of Christian theism? And one of those is Christians ought to be able to lay down their lives for other people, certainly not be abusive and sexually exploitative of other people. And when that happens, wow, there's a problem. Well, you know, it it goes, it's even more simple than that. I I will have to admit that maybe I'm in a fast food restaurant and the service is poor, the person is surly, and I may react to that. Yes, I have reacted to that. And my wife says, wait wait a minute. You don't know what's happened to that person. You don't know why they're here. You're supposed to be salt and light. You're not supposed to act this way. And it, you know, it makes me feel like I'm about two inches tall. And she is dead right. Exactly right. Because there has to be a connection between our worldview and our world action. Because people are looking at us. And we need to, I need to recognize that. It's not just that they look at us in certain situations. They look at us all the time. And maybe they don't, we're not in a setting where they ask the question, is this person a Christian? But sometimes maybe someone that we have reacted to in that way will show up at church one day and they'll say, wait a minute, you're the same guy that, did this or that. They may only say it to themselves, but 
Right. Well, and that was context for this young lady. She was raised in a Christian home around Christian people, and one of them abused her for 14 years. And so, you know, that that was uh, it's sort of the old I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are so loud. Right. I mean, that's the idea behind that. And, you know, I think we need to remember something here that this is not just uh, something that we're saying. It was Christ who said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. So if if we can't love the way Christ exhorts us to love, I think sometimes that really does have a has dire consequences for our ability to communicate our worldview in a world that's already predisposed against God. You and I have talked about that before many times. I mean, every man is born with a bias against God in his heart. We all want to be gods ourselves. And so all the more reason why believers need to be consistent and not hypocritical in their lifestyle. But this isn't just about, I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. I just was sitting there reflecting on your comment uh, and trying to assimilate that into my own thinking. And, uh, even in looking back on today and say in the previous six hours, has there been anyone that my reaction to them has been the opposite of what my, I say and what my worldview actually is? Uh, you think well, you about know, these things, it's scary. Well, it is, and, and they should sober us. They should sober us because Scripture says we Christians who have a Christian worldview Scripture says that one day we will stand before God and give an account for every idle word. We're justified and forgiven by the death and and resurrection of Christ, but that doesn't mean we're still not going to give an account one day for our actions while we're in the body. It's clearly taught in Scripture. There's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. You know, we get into heaven, and we can you know we can boast about that. But we're still going to give an account for the things that we've said and done, even every idle word. And that's that is sobering, isn't it, buddy? It is. This this whole conversation is very sobering. And it's certainly not something that you can approach in a clinical manner as a Christian with the worldview we have. It's something that we need to approach this from not only uh, the intellect, but the heart. Well, and you know, Ross, it's not just Christians, and you and I have been saying this all along, that, that the real evidence of a worldview is do people live consistently with that worldview? You and I talked before, we talked about naturalism. Naturalism really gives no high perspective for mankind. If, if we're just products of time and chance, and the only thing that's eternal is matter, then there's no reason for man to feel like he's anything special. But all men, all men do. All men want to be special. Well, naturalism doesn't support that. There's no reason for men to want to be special, but we all do. Well, in the next evolutionary cycle, according to naturalism, cockroaches may be the top of the food chain, not man. So what right do we have as people to think that we're special, but we still do? Now, as Christian theists, we believe people feel special or want to feel special because they're made in God's image. Naturalists have no basis for that. They don't believe they're made in God's image. They believe everything is just time and chance through the evolutionary engine. 
but there's an inconsistency in that worldview when they say, I want to have hope. I want to have some kind of meaning in my life. And so what they've done is they develop existentialism as a worldview because raw naturalism doesn't work for them. And that's what we're talking about on this show. It's let's be consistent with our worldview and let's make sure that our worldview is the best worldview that supports all the facts of the world that we live in. So Christians aren't the only ones who are hypocrites. Naturalists are hypocrites. I mean, Islamic fundamentalists who don't martyr themselves in a sense, they're hypocrites because that's what Islamic fundamentalism teaches. You know, you, everybody ought to be willing to kill, to die for Allah and the cause. It's interesting, the conversation I had with um, a young man that I engaged with over the weekend, it, we ended up at the same place in discussing religions of the world and the differences between those. And at the end of the day, he chose to exit the conversation. And I'm not sure whether we were getting too close to things that were touching him or whether he felt like that the conversation was worthless and he didn't have any intention of uh, pursuing any further. He did say that intellectual stimulation was important to him. And I said, well, I think that uh, I'm not sure that I have a lot of interest in simply pursuing this from an intellectual standpoint. I think you can get very close to accepting Christ through data points and statistical relevance and second law of thermodynamics and all these other things. But at some point in time, it requires a faith step to accept Christ. And, and Scripture certainly supports that. And the thing that we're talking about is Scripture also supports that one of the evidences that leads to genuine faith is a community of believers that live consistently with their worldview. Uh, that is, they act like, they live like Christ. And when that is not present, it really takes away one of the evidences. Not the only evidence. There are certainly other evidences. You and I have talked about this before, that you know, general revelation testifies that there's a God and he's real and he's the creator. Uh, special revelation testifies to that. Internal moral code in every man's heart testifies to that. But another evidence is Christian consistency with a lifestyle that is like Christ. You know, uh, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else you need will be given to you. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Uh, by this will all men know. It's by your good works. They'll know that there's a God in heaven by the good works that you do. And so, you know, Christians need to hear. Uh, we have an obligation to be to live consistently with our worldview. Non-Christians need to hear. Even if Christians stumble, that doesn't let you off the hook. So you see what you see what's going on here. Yeah. Christians it, need to be consistent. Non-Christians need to not just look at Christian lives, look at the larger body of evidence that's in the world around them. But on this side of the aisle, you and I are believers. So on this side of the aisle, you and I need to look at each other and say, hey, we need to be mature. We need to act like Christ. 
that's no guarantee that this young lady or this young man that you talk to are going to put their faith in Christ. But we need to certainly not put a stumbling block in front of them. And we need to do everything we can to show them that there's something genuine out there that's beyond just the big evidences. It's a personal evidence. You know, here's a point I think it's worth thinking about. Our actions, our world actions, will not lead anyone to know Christ. It may lead someone to investigate our worldview and Christ. But the way we act can prevent someone from even investigating. You know, Ross, you're right. I had had a Sunday school teacher one time that said, you're the Bible that some people, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. And it's to your point. It's to your point that many people will never read the scripture, but they will look at my life and your life and say, hmm, there's something really different about that person's life. You know, I was reading just this morning in my personal devotional times about that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that's so often quoted, even by secular sources. Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Boy, that is a powerful passage. That's why it's quoted so often. You know, uh, of course, you and I have known each other for a a long time, and you're aware that three days from now is my 49th wedding anniversary. Yep. Now, I I wish that I I heard the words that you just said years and years ago. I've heard them many, 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 many times. Not always did I have I adhered to those words my relationship with my wife and so I probably everyone has gone through periods of time when the communication wasn't all that great or that you didn't act in a godly way or you had this pressure that pressure for whatever reason you might you might think but you know in the in the last years the the last few years 10 15 20 the sweetness of my relationship with my wife has increase so substantially as I've tried to put into practice those words that I hid those words in my head maybe, but I didn't hide those words in my heart and I didn't hide those words in my actions, but they are true and they do work. And I think if Lynn were on this program, she would say, and it's made a difference. 
Yeah. Now, I, I know, I know that it's made a difference in my marriage too. That's not to say that Linda didn't love me and Linda and Lynn didn't love you before that. And you didn't love them and I didn't love her, but I like your term sweetness. The, the scripture calls it a fragrant aroma to the people who are willing to open their lives to the truth. Our lives are a fragrant aroma to them. It's, it's a compelling sense. It's like, it's like smelling wild roses when you're driving down, you know, a, a country back road. You want to stop and go, what is that aroma? Hmm. But, you know, it's also like driving by chicken farms when you're sitting someplace where you smell that aroma and you don't want to stop. <laughs> right. and, you know, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, to, to believers, people who say they know Christ, let your life be mature. And if it is, the more that it is, the more it's going to be a fragrant aroma. The more Lynn and Linda are going to appreciate us and, uh, and, and honor us and be grateful, the more mature that we are. And uh, it's taken me and you a while to get there, hasn't it, buddy? We're not there yet. <laughs> you got that right. It has taken a while. But uh, I'm uh, happy to be hanging around at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, but you, you think about that. Think about what a difference it would make if all the people on the planet who call themselves themselves followers of Christ, who held to the first seven tenets of a Christian theistic worldview, what difference would it make if all of those people lived the way Christ lived, sacrificing themselves for others, laying down their lives for their friends and family members, uh, becoming a fragrant aroma in a world that we know is lost and blind. What a difference that would make if, you know, a billion point two people in the world, you know, began to live that way. I think you and I would agree it would make a profound difference On the flip side of that coin, you ask yourself, what difference does it make when people who are being raised in a Christian home are abused by a relative who claims to be a Christian? And now you begin to get a feel for how important it is to God that we don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk. If you look at the news every morning or every afternoon, every night, and say what we see in the news right now, none of these problems would exist if each of us had a Christian worldview and adhered to that Christian worldview. Not a one of the problems. So when you say that the problems in our world today, the core reason for that is pure old sin. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and we know what sin is. It's not just when you drink, cuss, smoke, and chew and go with girls or guys that do. That's what my Sunday school teacher used to tell me. But sin is a rebellion of the heart. It's a rebellion that says, me first. And you and I both know that we've been around a lot of Christians who put me first. And they're very, very unattractive people to be around. Sometimes we've been those people, Ross, and we've been unattractive to be around. And so the challenge for us, and I know we're just about out of time with this, with this show, but it seems like the challenge for us is that we need to spur one another on to love and good deeds, if I can quote a passage from the book of Hebrews. 
We need to say to each other, hey, let's grow up and let's help other people grow up. Let's be mature because in relation to a Christian worldview, maturity really does matter. It, do, it matters a lot. Absolutely. This probably is a good place to conclude today. We'll pick that back up possibly in the next show. I think this is a good place to camp out probably for a few shows uh, because it's where we live. It's where Christians live, should live. I've heard you mention a number of times the tension with in which we live our life each day, and that is the tension of we're drawn to one side by Christ and our faith in Christ and our worldview. We're drawn to the other side by the world and, and competition and what have you. And so it's that constant tension that we're in all the time. We're living in tension. But we have a tension of time right now, and so we must um, bring this to a conclusion. Sorry to do so, but Bob, thanks so much for your insight, your friendship, for the opportunity to share these things and these issues of the heart and issues of Scripture with our listeners. Love to hear from you. Folks, go to our website, drop us a note. Be happy to take your thoughts and include those in a future show. But thanks again, Bob, for your time. Look forward to being with you shortly. You too, Ross. See you later. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.